Hey, Loam listeners. This is Kate, the founder of Loam, and I am so happy today to be talking to the one and only Amiria Freeman on reimagining what home means in the face of climate chaos. The founder of Being Green While Black, Emirio is a black queer food systems artist and advocate who works as an advocacy specialist for a domestic hunger relief organization. Emirio is one of the most joyful, thoughtful, and fearless creatives I know, whose work really explores what better worlds are possible when we expand our definition of what it means to be green. As Emirio writes at Being Green While Black, Being Green While Black is a digital spell to conjure socially, politically, economically, and ecologically just futures where blackness isn't marginalized. In many ways, a conversation with Emirio on ancestry and gardening several years ago sparked the seeds for Loam Listen. When I first thought of who I wanted to learn from and listen to as part of this podcast, Emirio emerged as a vital voice. Emirio, thank you for connecting with me today. Oh my gosh, Kate, I am so incredibly just humbled to be in conversation with you. I'm so incredibly excited to reach across the digital ether and have this incredibly, for me, and hopefully for your listeners, vital conversation on what home means um, in the midst of climate chaos. And I just want to compliment you on your podcast voice. <laughs> I love it. I'm obsessed. <laughs> Now having had a few, I really had to realize, okay, I got to slow it down a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing so well. Two thumbs up. (laughs) So a lot of your work right now lives at the intersections of art, activism, food systems, and Afrofuturism. And you're especially interested in examining the concept of home in a changing climate because your own hometown in Hampton, Virginia is vulnerable to disaster. As climate change radically reshapes the landscapes you grew up in, many of us are carrying this heartbreak, and I would love to learn from you about how you're holding this grief. Yeah, wow, that's such a huge question. How am I holding this grief? Um, I think when you think of grief, um, it's just this massive thing, so it's almost like something that's like, you can't even hold it. It just kind of extends over you sometimes in the most unbearable way um but i just want to touch on you mentioned that my hometown is hampton um and i think talking a little bit about hampton is really important in terms of how i'm attempting to hold this grief um or just navigate it and sit with it and wait in it um so for those who don't know hampton virginia is located on the coast of Virginia in the southeastern corner of the state. Um, And a lot of people, when they hear Hampton, they're kind of like, I do not know where that is, but you probably have in one context or another, there's just so much history just embedded in the soils of that area. So typically, if you ask any black person, they know Hampton automatically because that's where Hampton University is, um, a historic um, HBCU where so many amazing people have gone through and graduated and have gone on to do incredible things. Um, It's also the real life setting for the movie Hidden Figures. So Hampton's really known for um, housing a NASA HQ. Um, It's also a huge military naval area. 
Um, but for me, I think what's most interesting about the history of Hampton is that um, it's essentially, in a lot of ways, the birthplace of America. So there's this area around Hampton, in Hampton, that is the point um, where the first um, enslaved Africans arrived. Um, so right now, Hampton's really being elevated in the media, in the press, um, especially in the wake of um, the incredible work um, done on the 1619 Project. Um, so it's this place that is really weighty, really heavy when we think about colonialism, when we think about enslavement, um, when we think about racialized capitalism. Um, and right now, it's also receiving a little bit of attention because it's a place that's being um, more or less considered to be the site, potentially, of the next Katrina-level um, disaster. Um, there's been a lot of interest, especially in the military presence there, and really thinking about, like, oh, this is a place that is becoming really vulnerable and really susceptible to climate change. Um, we have to really think about this because um, it's going to affect, you know, homeland security and things like that. Um, but I think for a lot of us who aren't interested in militarism, um, the idea that our home is being susceptible, um, becoming more susceptible to climate change is really heartbreaking because, as you mentioned, um, Hampton is a home for a lot of people. And it's devastating to think that this place from which, you know, you came from in a lot of ways that has formed so much of you may not be here in the next 20, 30, 40 years, or it may be here still um, in a physical sense, um, but it may be completely um, reshaped and reconfigured in ways that are just um, deeply um, unfamiliar and deeply devastating. Um, so when I think about Hampton and when I think about just sort of the condition of my home, and when I think about how I'm holding all this grief related to my home place and related to climate chaos, I think one thing that I've been trying to do to really navigate all of this is sort of reframe what's happening. Um, and before I explain what that means, I just want to like really elevate this caveat and just really clarify that with climate change, this is devastating, right? Especially in a material sense. Um, climate chaos and disaster comes with the loss of place, the loss of life, the loss of ecosystems. Um, there's a really tangible aftermath that um, is unbearable to think about and unbearable to deal with. And so many populations and areas are already dealing with that. Um, we see this in the news all the time, especially now, especially in places where you find a lot of people of color. Um, but I think for me, I've been really trying to engage in sort of a reframing of what's happening with climate change. Um, and I've almost been thinking of what's happening as sort of being and at a reclamation on the part of the land and the water. Um, as I mentioned, Hampton is deeply embedded in this history of colonialism and enslavement, and with the people presence there, a deep history of militarism. And with all that, the land and the soil and the ecosystems and the water 
Steve Alden, detainted in both spiritual and physical ways. So I think in a lot of ways, um, I think when I'm seeking comfort, I think sometimes I sort of think about how in some ways it almost feels as though um, just like the physical place that is Hampton is sort of um, reclaiming itself and sort of brushing off these um, layers of histories that are really horrific to think about and that impact all of us deeply to this day still. Um, you know, I think about sort of this idea that um, water has perfect memory and to me it almost feels as though that the water remembers sort of being made into this unwilling agent and vehicle for all these atrocities and is really reclaiming itself and sort of almost um, dousing this area in sort of an act of baptism as almost a renewal and a chance to start over. So I think as far as like holding grief, I've been doing a lot of reframing and really thinking about this on a spiritual level and really giving personhood and agency back to um, my hometown, Hampton. I think that is such a gorgeous sentiment. And, and I think it's so potent because reframing this experience as a reclamation doesn't diminish the devastation or the loss of potentially losing your home, but it does open up the door doorway into reimagining and re-envisioning the future and how we can work with the reality of what's happening to re-see our world. And I would love to hear more from you about in this process of reframing how what home means for you has shifted. You know, do you think of home in a physical sense, in a spiritual sense, in an emotional sense? Like where do you hold home in your body? And how are and how is your definition of home evolving? Wow, I think uh again, such a good question. Um, yeah, actually in preparation for this conversation, I was just sort of jotting down all these ideas and references and just really doing some reflecting on how I think we as a collective, at least, you know, here in America, even still, that's like still too general. Um, but I think there are certain like common threads of understanding of what home is. Um, so yeah, I can just like kind of list some of those off. So when I was like reflecting on what home means to me, what home means for a lot of us, I think on a collective scale, I was thinking of, I think for a lot of us, home is deeply tied to this place of origin. Um, I know I'm from, I'm a southerner, I'm from the South, from Virginia, my family's from um, South Carolina. And one of the first things that people ask you is, you know, where are you from? Where's your home? And they're always expecting sort of this um, geographical answer. Oh, I'm from this county. I'm from this state. I'm from, you know, up the road, yada, yada, yada. Um, but it's always just um, connoting this idea of um, 
I'm gonna let you know where my roots are. Um, I'm gonna let you know um, the setting, the place of sort of the beginning of my mythology. And I think from that, I think for a lot of us, home is really tied up in this idea of the sort of primordial pool from which the raw materials that eventually became us came from. Um, and in that sense, home is really this place, this um, physical location that has really shaped us and our understandings and our worldviews and um, maybe sort of shaped my traumas, shaped our self-concepts, um, informed our interests and overarching uh, life motivations. You know, home is sort of like this thing that has an imprint on you. Um, it haunts you, not so much in a scary way, but just in the sense of it's this thing that's always on you. And I think depending on who you're asking, home is, um, home is quite literally you. Um, I think if you ask a lot of people who are deeply invested in this work, there is a sense of, there is no um, sense of separation between me and the physical location from which I come from. Like there's a blurring, there's a co-creation that happens. Um, and I think there's a lot of um, truth there, especially on a very objective level. Um, if you think about it, you think about the fact that we're all just like these bundles of molecules kind of bumping around. Um, those molecules that make up your home are always bumping around with you. So I think in a spiritual sense, in a quite literal sense, like our homes are quite literally us and there really is no distinction between the two. Um, so I think of home as like origin. Um, and I think home is also considered to be um, just a place of renewal and restoration. I think for a lot of us, when we think of home, especially around this time of the year when the holidays are coming up, you're instantly thinking of ideas of refuge and sacredness and vulnerability and warmth, where you can sort of feel held. Um, and when I was thinking of home in this sense, I thought of this really great quote that I always love. Um, it's from Beloved, written by the incomparable Toni Morrison. Um, and in this quote, just right setting the scene, a character is talking about their past relationship with another character, and they say, quote, she's a friend of mine, she gather me, man, the pieces I am. She gather them and give them back to me in all the right order. And I love that little piece where this character says, this, you know, this person, she gathers all my pieces and gives them back to me in all the right order. And for me, I always love that idea, especially when it shift the home. I know for me personally, whenever I go back to my physical home, um, I just feel like it's a place where I can come to it just completely jumbled and completely in a state of disarray, but I always know once I cross that threshold, when I, once I enter my front door and I see my mom and my brothers and my dog, um, I know like immediately all those jumbled pieces are gonna come back in all the right order. 
Um, I think lastly, I think of home as a condition where ideally um, we belong anywhere. Home should be everywhere in a very ideal sense. Um, and I thought of that um, because recently, like maybe a year ago at this point, I read this really incredible book. It's called Soul Talk, The New Spirituality of African-American Women. Um, and it's essentially a collection of interviews facilitated by Akasha Gloria Hall. Um, and she's interviewing just all these incredible Black women creative luminaries who are very um, critical still now, but especially critical in like the 80s and 90s. So she's interviewing people like Tony K. Bambara and Lisa Clifton and Sonia Sanchez. Um, and there's just one part of the book where she's interviewing Alice Walker. And Alice has this just incredible quote, in my opinion, where she says, I'm an earthling. I was born here. I know the place. I have no desire really to travel. I don't want to go to the moon. I don't want to go to the stars. Venus can be happy without my presence. So I think what they, the forebears, really meant was more of a condition. I mean a condition of servitude and oppression, and that is not your home. Oppression is not your home. So uh, I hope this makes sense, but when I read that quote, I was really thinking of the fact that oppression creates this condition where only certain places, in a very physical sense here on Earth, feel like home like places where you can be and where you can belong. So as a queer Black man, when I'm walking down the street and I'm harassed by, let's say, a police officer, just that condition of oppression that surrounds being Black queer makes that street a place that I can't consider home. Um, so when I think of home, I think of home ideally as being everywhere. Um, so that all of us, despite our identities, can feel as though that we belong. Um, so home for me in that sense does feel like a condition of like being safe, of being cared for, um, of being liberated, and of being free from oppression. Um, so yeah, when I think of home, I think again of home as being the place of origin, as being a place for renewal and safety and being cared for in home as a condition of being not oppressed and of belonging anywhere and everywhere because ultimately as Alice Walker said we're all earthlings we are of this planet and the planet is of us um so ideally everywhere should be home but because of these oppressive forces and systems um we're sort of folded into the mythology that we can only call certain places home. Oh my gosh, Amir. <laughs> that was so exquisite. I just felt like you took us all on a journey. <laughs> was was not expecting these beautiful quotes. Um oh I I just love everything you said and especially felt lit up by this idea that we're all earthlings and home should be everywhere for us um, in the sense that we can feel safe wherever we walk and, and held. And I'm wondering what 
what do you think it would take to create that sense of home? What would listeners need to integrate into their life to be a part of that process of collective liberation and of building homes everywhere that are safe havens for everyone? Oh, that's such a big question. Ah, oh, Kate, you're killing me. Uh, <laughs> no, I think uh, I think there's so many ways to answer this question. I think there's so many ways to enter the space of what would it mean to really um, participate in this project of making sure that we reclaim this truth that home is everywhere. Um, I think for me, one point of entry that I've been really grappling with um, is just sort of falling into the space of really recognizing the power of radical imagination and radical visioning and really deeply embracing a state of creativity. Um, because when I think about being Black, when I think about being queer, um, within those two identities, there are so many people who have held those identities, some, often simultaneously, who I think have really done the work of enacting home as a word in the sense of disrupting oppression in ways that were really rooted in imagination and creativity. Um, so for instance, um, a show that I really love right now is Pose on FX. I think everyone should go watch it. It's just an incredible show. It's on Netflix, the first season, for those who haven't seen it yet. Um, but it's this incredible show inspired by the 1990s documentary by Jimmy Livingston called Where's This Burning? And both the show and the documentary really elevate the lives of black and brown, um, queer and trans folks living in New York City around the 80s and 90s, um, who formed um, what's called ballroom culture. So this culture really rooted in these groups of people who have essentially been discarded by society for being of color, for being low income, for being queer, for being trans, for being HIV positive. Um, uh, these people have been discarded society, have really come together, create um, systems of houses and of family and of community, um, and all that is rooted in imagination and eradication. Um, and this show this really reminds me that in the face of oppression, so much resilience can come out of um, being bold enough to take whatever material resources you have um, to really imagine new ways of being, to really imagine new possibilities, to really deeply engage in the acts of world making. Um, so I think all of us, your listeners and, um, and others, um, should consider that the way that the world is set up now, where everywhere is an home, is an option. Um, it's an island and sort of like the sea of so many different alternatives. Um, and we all have just 
the opportunity and the power to really um, step outside of that island and really consider this isn't the only way. This isn't the end-all be-all. Um, we can sort of look to the horizon and, and really courageously, boldly consider what's new, what else is out there, what's on the periphery, um, because this can't be it, because what is it right now isn't sustainable, it's unhealthy, it's toxic, um, and it's devastating for all of us, both humans and those occupying the North Korean world. I really resonate with all of that, and especially what you shared about home being a verb and an action. Um, because I think something that so many of us are wrestling with is our physical homes. You know, we see them as static as this place you want to return to again and again, even though we know that might not be possible. And there, there's a lot of grief in knowing that it's, it will change and evolve. And so as you were talking, I really, you know, began to think what what's liberating about, you know, this radical imagination of home, as you were talking about, is this idea that it doesn't have to be one place um, frozen in time, but that it can be an action, a verb, you know, dynamic, vibrant. I think that's something that is so is such a healing frame. Because I know a lot of the times my grief is deepest when I think this place I've loved isn't like the place I grew up in. You know, like it only existed in my childhood and it will never exist again. And that's this, you know, exquisite sadness. But thinking about home as something you you make frees you in a way. And so what actions are you taking today to make home you know, how are you, um, you know, li living in D.C., you know, far, far from where you grew up? How are you making home right now? And, yeah, I <laughs> I may be backtracking on my own sentiments and thoughts because um, I think that last part of your question, what am I doing to make home here in D.C.? Um and I think D.C., like so many other urban areas, is really interesting because um, it's an area that's experiencing um, rapid gentrification. Um, even just like me being here in D.C., moving here to D.C. as someone who's a quote-unquote young professional and a millennial and being a part of a certain class in labor work culture, um, I'm definitely someone who's um, participating in the displacement of people who have been here long before I was probably even conceived of. Um, and then on top of that, um, we all constantly every day have to reckon with the fact that the places that we call home are ultimately places that were stolen, right? When you think about the displacement of indigenous people and cultures, etc. Um, so I think I just want to like settle with that a little bit, and I would love your thoughts on this. I think 
as we sort of destabilize the idea of home and really engage in home as like um, a verb, especially um, engaging in home with home as an action that's based in creativity. Um, I think we do have to consider um, that when we are making home, there are certain um, ethics and morals and other systems to think about in terms of does making home sort of lead to displacement and gentrification? Um, just thinking like, you know, of random historical references, like, you know, the idea of um, manifest destiny and sort of like expanding westward, that was, you know, potentially rooted in this idea that like, we have the right to sort of make home um, out of a place that was already home for so many. Um, yeah, I just want to settle on that for a minute. I would love your thoughts on just even troubling this idea of making home. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's such an important and necessary point you raise that we are living on stolen land. I think for me, what I'm so curious about is this tension, right? What we're talking about in terms of home being everywhere, as Alice Walker shared, but home also being a place, right, where there's a system of reciprocity and right and responsibility that are really rooted in the original tenders to that land. And so how we show up for home and the concept of home really changes based on our geographic location, um, where we are and in terms of time. I mean, I think there's so many factors that come into play. Yeah, and I think I'm just getting really excited by, I don't know, sort of like this tension. Because I think in a lot of ways, it does require us to really think of home um, in a sort of temporal sense where we do have to do a little bit of time traveling, I think. Because I think when it comes to making the home, I think there is sort of this imperative to um, sort of think about the past and, as you mentioned, really honor what was before in this soil, in this water, um, in whatever geographic site that I'm in. Um, but then there's also this imperative to be um, a little bit more forward-thinking and existing in the future and engaging in homemaking and engaging in this creative act of, you know, I'm going to enter this space and make it my own and really think about how I can imagine new possibilities for this space. Um, so there is this not only spatial elements like home and homemaking, but this temporal element as well that I think we often don't think about. Yeah, I love that you framed it as time traveling because I think so much of the heartbreak people are carrying right now is that we live detached from our original homes, from our place of origin. Um, whether it's because our family, you know, there's what immigrated, um, 
as a consequence of forced diaspora, there's so many reasons and so many factors at play that have severed people from their, their point of origin. And so many of us, you know, we don't know the bird calls or the names of the trees um, in the places that we come from. And as the climate crisis escalates um, and as more and more people are forced to leave their, their homelands and seek refuge elsewhere, that that distance from our point of origin is only growing wider. And I think that's a huge grief that a lot of us are holding. And, and I think time traveling helps us find a way to come into conversation with that liminality and to learn how to live in between those two worlds and to make sense of what it means to belong to a place and to people, what it means to honor a place and to people. I think, yeah, I think you spoke so eloquently to, to that need to go between worlds. And I think where I'm landing ultimately is when it comes to um, this idea of activating home as an action, as a verb, um, there's sort of this call to engage in creativity, to sort of um, really reimagine what it means to call a place home and make it our own and really be forward-thinking um, so sort of, um, the sense of my futurity, but then, um, again, just time traveling and going back and honoring what has been and what we will eventually lose, um, and doing a lot of archiving and record keeping and memorializing. Um, so I think when it comes to holding grief, when it comes to the places that we're losing, to the homes that we're losing. Um, I think in a lot of ways we're being called to both um, look to their horizons, look to new horizons, um, and to really lean into um, destabilizing certain conceptions of homes, especially certain conceptions that are very based in this Western um, um, obsession with permanence and um, strict objectivity and then also there's this other call to again um, to build memorials and to build markers and if I can reference just one more amazing black um, woman one of my favorite artists is a woman um, named Beverly Buchanan who is this black woman that I'm obsessed with because a lot of her work, um, they're earthworks, um, and a lot of her earthworks resemble almost like graves and memorials and markers. And she situated so many of these earthworks um, throughout the South, um, just sort of really commemorating sort of all these really conflicting um, legacies that are really enmeshed in the South. Um, so she reminds me that as we're doing sort of that forward-thinking work, there's so much work that has to be done around um, just remembering what was and allowing that to be a tactic for navigating all this grief that we're feeling now and that we'll feel later on in the future. 
I love that. I think that is the most beautiful way to close this conversation. Um, and also spinning like with things that I want to keep talking about with you. Um, but thank you so much for sharing today, Emilio, and for all that you do to inspire and um, reimagine and provoke. I think, you know, home and what home means is a big question that a lot of us are holding. And I feel really grateful um, that I got to explore some of that with you today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much again for holding space for this conversation. And I'm excited to see um, how others build upon this. You know, we're living in really um, scary times. But I think even within that, um, there's so much space and so much um, potential um, for these times to also be times of so much optimism and light and um, doing things differently. Yeah, yes, absolutely. And to everyone who's listening, please continue this conversation with us and um, share your thoughts and reflections because this is just the start of many to come. And I think this is a really important one for us to continue to have um, again and again. So thank you so much, Emirio. And thank you as well to Isaac Silk for editing this podcast to Isaac and Faith Harden for the beautiful intro music um, and to you all, our Loam community, um, for listening uh, with such care and compassion. I feel really, really grateful that we get to have these kinds of conversations together and, and I hope we'll continue to connect. <laughs>